This afternoon, I wanted to spend a little bit of time answering the question, who or what is Jews for Jesus? Because if you notice this morning, we didn't talk about the organization. Sunday morning, I really believe, is to be regarded not as a commercial, but as a time to broadcast the name of Jesus. And especially since we're live streaming, I really wanted to make sure that whoever was watching would hear the gospel. Um, I have been a missionary for 41 years with Jews for Jesus. And I know when I go to a missions conference or whatever, some of the most boring talks I've ever heard have been slides of here I am with my, you know, clump of people that I'm building a hut with or whatever. And God bless them. All those things are good. But please don't do that to me on Sunday morning. Get the gospel out there. And then this afternoon, thank you. I'll show you boring slides. No, I'm not going to. Uh, what I want to do is tell you that the organization is about two thousand years old. We started when when Simi, uh, Mary was introduced uh, to the, the you're going to have a son. What? And then then she was the first Jew for Jesus. <laughs> Anna and Simeon were in the temple and they held the baby and Nunc Dimittis, they were the, uh, the early on Jews for Jesus. Some would say the shepherds were in the Christmas story as well. Those aren't Palestinians. Those are Jews out there watching over their flocks by night. So the organization uh, began about then. Everybody who watched Jesus die, except for some Romans, were Jews who were for Jesus. 3,000, day of Pentecost, 5,000, couple chapters later, on and on. It's not until the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, who are the half-breeds, can I use that term? Just checking. I've got my, look, we've got a barometer. I'm going to make sure that I, I'm going to appreciate that. I, I do appreciate it. Um, you'll explain that to Mick later. All right. The, the um, Samaritans were half-breeds from, and what you might have wrongly learned, the ten lost tribes aren't lost. They never were lost. They went north when the, Sept uh, the Assyrian captivity in 722 BCE. And then a generation later, the Assyrians sent mixed marriages, uh, a, a Jewish person from any of the 12 tribes and an Assyrian with whom they married down to what you would call today Galilee or Samaria. And that's where they lived out their lives and breeded and breeded and breeded. So they were never as authentically Jewish as the other Jews. So that's why we call, they are called the 10 lost tribes of Israel because they lost their footing. Those are the Samaritans, and that's why the bad blood between Judeans, later Jews, and Samaritans. The bad Samaritan story of John 4, etc. Why the, the startling story of the good Samaritan that Jesus told. 
that a Samaritan could be good. What? You're nuts. All right. So the... Um, I've lost the segue. Where'd that come from? Sorry. It's all the Mexican food. All right. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, so the, um, in Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans get saved. 9, it's Paul. Chapter 10, we have Cornelius. And you ought to celebrate St. Cornelius Day every year because Corny is the first Gentile for Jesus that started the organization Gentiles for Jesus. I mean, really, that's, that's what he did. He gathered his family in, and Peter came and preached to him. You might have misread Acts chapter 10. I doubt you would have taught it wrong, but it's commonly taught wrong, even here in Castle Hill, that Peter's vision that brought him to taking the gospel to Cornelius had something to do with what, Corn with what Peter ate for lunch. Do you remember the vision that he, he fell asleep, it's midday, he's hungry, and he sees a vision, white, a big four-cornered sheet with, with a trafe, you know, pigs and lobster and, you know, all this stuff, like, no curries. Um, and I was just, <laughs> um, <laughs> kimchi. Anyway, he, he brought in all this stuff. And, and the voice said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, no, 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 I'm Jewish. I don't eat that stuff. And, the, and what did the voice say? What I've called clean, don't you call unclean. Most Christians, especially most who eat that stuff, think it has to do with food. It has nothing to do with food. It has everything to do with you guys and not us guys. So Peter goes, and I'll just read the one verse that you should memorize. Acts chapter 10, bottom left in your Bible. No, I don't know where it is in yours. Acts chapter 10 and verse four, um, uh, 28. After he arrives in Cornelius' house, he tells them that, you know, they bow down. He says, get up. I'm just a guy. Like, I put on my toga just like you do. And he said in verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who's a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man, meaning any person, unholy or unclean. Then he preaches the gospel and the Holy Spirit causes these Cornelius team to accept the Lord in the middle of his sermon. I've always longed for that. I'm preaching and somebody says, what must I do to be saved? And I said, praise the Lord, stop the sermon. <laughs> Get the guy saved. So uh, the vision of Peter had nothing to do with Peter's lunch, but had everything to do with the lunch of the people to whom he was sent. That is, Gentiles who ate pig, Gentiles who ate whatever. And that is so important for you to get. Peter never went and had a ham sandwich. 
Peter went and gave the gospel to people who did. Yeah. So the first Jews for Jesus were Jews who <laughs> were for Jesus. And then it became, you know, a lot of you guys. And uh, like Thomas, who was a Jew for Jesus, who, do you know where he died? He died in India, preaching the gospel. And there are so many Indian Christians named Thomas to this day because of that. Um, yeah, so how about this one? Samuel Isaac Joseph Sheroshevsky. Anybody know the name? The first three you got. Samuel Isaac Joseph Sheroshevsky. He was a Jew, a Lithuanian Jew, a rabbi who came to faith in Jesus around 1850, somewhere in there, who then became an Anglican and stayed saved, amazingly, going to, in, in America, he became an Episcopalian and uh, became an Episcopal bishop, priest and then bishop, and was sent to China. And he preached the gospel among Chinese. He translated the Bible from Hebrew into Chinese. You're welcome. How do you like that? And he died in Japan blind as a missionary bishop to Japan. I've been to his grave. It's so holy. Not a shrine, but it's so holy to stand there and think of this guy who gave his life, left father, sorry, left Lithuania, left England, left America, went to China, went to Japan and served God. I am so motivated by Samuel Isaac Joseph Sheroshevsky. He translated the Book of Common Prayer into Chinese as well. Died translating, didn't finish, the Bible into Japanese. Some of my heroes. Questions you want to have? I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to talk. I mean, I do, but... <laughs> For the people listening on the tape, do you use tapes anymore? Uh, wherever this is recorded, I'll repeat the question. And that is, do we use the name Jews for Jesus in the term Jews, meaning culture or religion? Yes. <laughs> because a Jew is a Jew when he's born. A Jew is a Jew when he's circumcised. A Jew is a Jew at his bar mitzvah. He may not believe anything. But he's a Jew. Ethnicity migrates into and through a person. So that a Jewish mother has a Jewish child, she may not believe anything. She may not practice the Jewish religion, but that kid knows he's Jewish. Ethnicity, we've kind of gotten away from the word race in, no, in, in, uh, in universities. And the reason for that is Tiger Woods. Like, what race is he? As soon as you say Thai, I'll say black. As soon as you say black, I'll say Thai. And that represents a morphing of the world in one generation. The word race is gone from anthropological studies. But we use the word ethnicity from the Greek word ethnoi, meaning people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every ethnic group. Um, Matthew 28. So Jews, 
identify as Jews whether they believe anything or whether they're the most religious Jew there is. Do I still attend synagogue and, I love this, do all those Jewish things? Because you don't even know what that means. <laughs> Beautiful. So do I do Shabbat? If my, if my staff were here, they'd say, as soon as you said the word do, they'd look at each other, uh-oh, he's going to get all over her. Because I've, ref I've refused to allow my staff to use the word do as a verb. Um, because it's so overused and under, under, understood. Um, what does it mean to do Shabbat? Do I observe Shabbat? Yeah. And in my world, what does that mean? Um, every Friday night, my kids come over. We have a meal together. Is that what you mean? Say, is that what the Orthodox Jew believes? Is that what the regular Jew believes? So everybody practices or does their religion in their own style according to their own commitments. Christians do that. If I say, do you fast? You could say, well, I fasted last year once. Or I fast every Thursday. You could, and both of you would be right. Because it's personal. And, and I think that's appropriate. Um, yeah, I take Shabbat. Since lockdown, it's been really good. 13 months, almost 14 months now. Every Saturday morning, I take my three-year-old grandson. And we go on an adventure with Saba. Saba is Hebrew for grandfather. And we get on the bus and we go somewhere. Sometimes to Macquarie Center. Sometimes to Hyde Park. Yesterday, Taranga Zoo. Four hours together. How fun was that? And we never know. Well, he never knows um, where we're going to go. And he, most of the time, I don't know where we're going to go. It just depends which bus comes. <laughs> and if it's the 291, well, we'll go to Mc, McMahon's Point. Okay. And then we'll take the ferry. Okay. And then we'll... So Shabbat for me is that followed by tennis in the afternoon. It's a time to chill. Yeah, so for, for me, I guess the reason I ask is because I, as an Asian culture of this show, we still celebrate things like Chinese New Year, which is actually like you know, moon festivals and things like that, and all, all this other stuff, which is actually a mixture of culture and there's ties to religion there too. Sure. And so that's why I was trying to understand, I guess, Everybody's. Yeah. When I was in Thailand, the tour guide in Bangkok said to my wife and me, "Oh, here, just throw those sticks down there in front of the Buddha." And I said, "Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Thanks, no. Oh, it's just." And I said, "No, thank you. That's all right." My wife was scandalized. Why? Don't offend her. I said, I, if she's offended, that's her problem. Um, I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, there are syncretistic things that I won't go to and some that I will go to. And that's everybody has to make those decisions, I think. Uh, T.S. Eliot, brilliant on Christ and culture and, and uh, heartily recommended to you all. I'll go to question for you. Yes, you there in the corner. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, when it talks about, you know, through your seed, I'll bless you, all nations of the US, etc., is that still applicable today in regards... Is Genesis 12 still in the Bible? Well, uh, yeah, in regards to the Abrahamic covenant, in regards to the view of Israel, in regards to if, if we treat, like, how people basically say, well, the promise to Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you. Um, yeah, Genesis 12 is still there. I mean, if, if not, 13 would be 12, and that'd be weird. Um, I suppose that the question is, and it's one of those that I, I appreciate when I go to churches that have Genesis 12 up on the wall in their covenant blessings, and, and they, they love Jewish people. We love Jews. There was a movie shown at the Jewish Film Festival last month in Randwick. Every year there's one of those. And it was about, I forget what it was called, but it was something about uh, Christian Zionists. And it featured, um, it was a movie on, like a doco, I guess, uh, of a church in Middleborough, Kentucky. And they were blessing Israel and they're raising funds to bless Jewish people. Because if they can bless the Jews, they'll be blessed. And I looked at that and thought, that is really the wrong reason to bless anybody so that you get a blessing. I wish Jesus, you know, I've got some words for him. I, I don't know if you do. But when he said, give and it shall be given you, I want to take my black highlighter and just cross out the and it'll be given you. I want him to say give because I said so. Because I don't want to be having ulterior motives to be generous. So yeah, I do believe Genesis 12 is still on the world. If you bless the Jews, you will be blessed. I'm shameless in asking you to donate to Jews for Jesus. I have no problem asking you to do that. I have no problem admitting to you that if you do that, you will be blessed. I have every reason not to tell you to do that so that you will be blessed. Because I think that's the wrong motivation. You're welcome. Now, you, you, now you're in a conundrum. Should I give? Should I not give? Because <laughs> now I know I'm going to get blessed and I know I shouldn't be. To... <laughs> no, ask anything you want. I'm sorry. The question has to do with resurrection and that it's not really written about much in the 39 books of the Older Testament. Yeah, yeah it's true. Because like today, right, like there's nine things. There's plenty of that. But then when it comes to the resurrection, it seems very silent. Yeah. Yeah, where do we, where's the first place we see resurrection in the record of the Older Testament? Do, 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 do. What? Genesis 22. When Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead, according to Hebrews 11. Well done. And how do we know that? How do we know that? From one Hebrew letter, 
one little Hebrew letter, a nun, which introduces the phrase, we will go, we will worship, and we will return. When Abraham said that to the servants, we will return, the writer of Hebrews, whom I think is, should I tell you who I think? Priscilla, um, Aquila's wife. Uh, I said, I think. Yeah, I've got evidence. Um, I got the email. <laughs> no, I think so. Uh, but when she, I, I, I just taught the book of Hebrews during lockdown, and it's all on YouTube, Jews for Jesus, Australia channel. Um, yeah, this is midrashic. It's, it's Jewish, but it is not clearly stated in the scripture. And she sees that nun and says, that's what he meant, that, he would, that they would return. Not, not eventually, but he's going to go kill his son and then they'll, he'll raise him from the dead. He didn't know how that was going to happen, but he believed that. And so it's in the hall of faith of Hebrews 11. You're right, John, there's not much in there. There's the hint in Job, yet in my flesh I will see God. There's Hosea, where it says, in two days we, he'll kill us, on the third day he will raise us up. And that's it. What about Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is great. Are you talking about... That's Isaiah 53, I think. Yet... After the crucifixion, yet he will see his seed. Okay. There, there are hints. And if you will, just imagine a beautiful curry, and then there's a hint of tarragon or cumin or something. You taste it, but you don't really know it's there, but it's there. And, and that's the way it is when you read in, through the Newer Testament. You go, oh, that's what that meant. So there are great arguments in the intertestamental period seeking clarification from rabbis. And that's where the great divide happened between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees who said that their rabbis knew and that their traditions, if you will, trumped the people who didn't have such traditions. And the Sadducees who said, no, if it's not in the book, it's not real. The Pharisees won out in 70 AD, and therefore their tradition of resurrection of the dead won out. The seven feasts point to what? The seven feasts. The Sadducees what? Seven feasts. Seven feasts. The Jewish feasts. Okay, thank you. They're ganging up on me. <laughs> yeah, what about the seven feasts? One of the feasts point towards the resurrection. Yeah, again, again, here, here's what I want to say about the seven festivals of the Jewish people. You'll find them in Leviticus 23. Is that we know a lot more about them now because we're on this side of the cross. 
than they did on the front end of the cross. They just didn't know. So when we say Jesus is the Lamb of God, we're talking about the Passover Lamb. Like I said in the sermon, Jews think of Passover as a national redemption holiday, not as a personal individual salvation that you would read into the Passover teaching. If you put blood on the doorposts of your hearts, you'll get saved, that kind of thing. Whereas the Jews put blood on the doorposts of their houses, their tents, whatever, and then the nation was saved. Um, so you're talking about the third day holiday called the Feast of First Fruits, which occurs not only in Leviticus 23, but 1 Corinthians 15. Christ, our first fruits, then we who are alive at his coming. So that's what you're referencing, right? Yeah, it's there on this side of the cross, it makes sense. For the Jew who hasn't experienced the cross, it makes no sense. Yeah, so I guess another reason why I bring that point up is because, like, I, well, my understanding is that the Jews who still hold to, you know, the belief that, you know, Jesus isn't the Messiah, they basically read the same passages and interpret, it different, interpret them differently. Yeah. And, yeah, I think the resurrection yeah, there are hints. I mean, Elijah raised one, Elisha raised two from the dead. That should be something. It is something when you talk to a Jewish mate and tell them, ask them the question, what do you do with the stories of Jesus, how he walked on water and raised people from the dead? What do you do with that? Oh, we don't believe that. Well, okay, that's the national structure. What do you do with it personally? And drive, drive a wedge really between them and their rabbi so that their rabbi doesn't stand before God for them. They have to stand before God alone. What are you going to do with the truth or the story anyway? And what you'll find 95% of the time is that they don't even believe Moses and Red Sea. They don't even believe Elijah and the raised widow's son. They don't believe in miracles because they've never seen it. As if they are the arbiter of all things true. And you have to get them to that place where they say, um, no, I don't believe it, and that settles it. And you have to then, with your friend, make sure they're your friend. And it doesn't take long to make a Jewish friend. Just complain. <laughs> Just complain about something. Hi, it's so hot. Can you believe in COVID that they're making us sit 1.5 meters apart? What's the deal with that? And your Jewish friend is going to say, I know. What does that? All of a sudden, you're best mates. Um, it's so hot. Can you believe how hot it gets out west here? Can you believe it's 44 degrees? Oh, I can't believe how the government is doing. I know, this is what I was thinking. All right, so it doesn't take long to make a Jewish mate. Uh, but when you've got that friendship, just know this. It is on the basis of your mateship that you can call them to account for being inconsistent with being Jewish. 
If you did that with Mrs. Schwartz, you're just walking down the street. Hello, Mrs. Schwartz. You want to convert and get saved? And she's, no, no. Well, you're going to hell, Mrs. Schwartz. I mean, if you do that, that's not exactly what I'm recommending. You see what I mean? You've got to have some kind of relationship, and it doesn't take years. It can just take two complaints. That's all it can take. <laughs> they shut down the Bells of Line Road. What the heck? That's all you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Can you enlighten us a little about um, the part Jews play in the end times? The part Jews will play in the end times. Well, obviously will be the leaders. There you go. <laughs> so all you, you know, in the leadership group, good luck. No, the <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. And I've heard it, and, and I've heard it wrongly taught that the Jews were in charge at the beginning, time of the Gentiles, time of the Gentiles is over, time of the Jews is on, and so Gentiles take a back seat. Don't you dare take a back seat. You just keep driving this thing. You just keep going and going and going. And if Jesus takes you and moves you all to Mali or something, that's fine. Um, but in the meantime, keep leading. So Jews are not going to be the leaders except in my world. Uh, the, <laughs> Israel was substantial in the beginning. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, 12 tribes. You with me? The Bible history, Heilsgeschichte, all that Jewish, his, all that holy history is Jewish. There's a hint of a Jew here, of a, of a Gentile here and a Gentile there. A hint. Then Jesus rocks up. It's still very Jewish. He doesn't show up in Rome. He doesn't show up, thank God, in Salt Lake City. He shows up. <laughs> he's right there in Israel. He's in Bethlehem. He's in, he's in Jerusalem. He's doing Jewish stuff. Then, so look at this. This is the Bible. Look, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. There we go. That's how much Bible is Jewish. That's how much is also Gentile. That includes concordance. It's not Gentile. It is also Gentile. That means Jews are still here. I'd say that's a lot. At the end, when you've read in Romans 11 that the time of the Jews will come back after whatever the time of the Gentiles is, you say, how does that time begin? We know when the Gentiles' time began, that's Cornelius. But it didn't just start with Cornelius because there was the Roman centurion. There was the Syrophoenician woman who said, what about the dogs? They even get the breadcrumbs. So there have been hints of Gentiles for Jesus, if you will, in the Gospels. And certainly you'll see hints of Gentiles in Isaiah and in other prophets and even in Exodus and Genesis 12. Wait a minute, Genesis 12? Yeah, in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Exodus 19, right before Mount Sinai. What does he say? Israel, you are segula, you are a special treasure, and I'll make you mamlechet kohanim, a kingdom of priests. 
Amen. Priests. What do priests do? Who do they serve? The other guys. Priests don't serve priests. Priests serve the others, the laity. So if all Israel is the priests, who's the laity? Non-Israel. And Israel got it wrong over and over and over again because we served us and forget about you guys. So at the end, I think the time of the Gentiles fades, whatever that is. Time of the Jews comes in, whatever that looks like. And Romans 11 says what that's going to look like. It has nothing to do with famines and wars and rumors of wars. Because, dear friends, that hasn't started and it hasn't ended any more or less than it was in the time of Jesus. You hear more about it because of CNN. But there have always been wars and rumors of wars. There have always been famines and floods. We just are so longing for news that we heap this upon ourselves and think it's increasing. I don't think it's increasing at all. What is increasing is our awareness of stuff, but not the stuff. So, Bob, you're telling me this isn't the end? Here's how you know when it's the end. Romans 11 says it this way. Romanos, capítulo 11. <laughs> this is the Spanish church. Romans 11. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it. And the rest were hardened, just as it is written. And the apostle quotes Psalm 69 and Isaiah, because I don't remember, 34, I think, um, or 43. Anyway, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, ears to hear not, down to this very day. Let me... Sorry? Um, could be. And David says, hang on a second. Isaiah 29.10. Okay. And David says, and this is Psalm 69. Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. So these two quotes have to do with blindness on Israel. Both of which are God-caused, both of which are because we turned our back on God. So these two texts remind me that, that, that since Israel is blinded to the truth of Jesus, we ought not to be surprised that the time of the Gentiles is full on. We ought not be surprised that the Jews en masse said no to Yeshua after the first century. We shouldn't be surprised. It's prophetic. At the same thing, I mean, in the same way, verse 11, I say then, they didn't stumble so as to fall, meaning forever, did they? God forbid. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. There you go. You got in on it because we said no. You're welcome. <laughs> now, if their, tra 
If their transgression, if the Jews saying no is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Goyim, the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles and as much then as I'm an apostle of Gentiles, magnify my ministry if somehow I, I might move to jealousy of my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if, verse 15, get this one, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance of the Lord be but life from the dead? So you want to see the sign of the second coming or the sign of the time of the Jews. If you want to see that, it's one thing. It's not Israel coming back to be a nation. God bless those who believe that. It has nothing. We hadn't left. We were still there when Paul wrote this. That's not the sign. Well, it's the sign of Jerusalem. That's very nice, Donald Trump, thank you, but that's not the sign. The sign is Jews en masse saying yes to Jesus Christ. That's the sign that you ought to at least reach for your seatbelt if you're not buckling it. Buckle your seatbelt when Jews en masse say yes to Christ. That, not that Jews are leading, not that the time of the Jews means Gentiles go sit in the back seat, but the Jews en masse are saying yes to Jesus Christ. How much is en masse? How much is that threshold? Is it 6% of the Jews? 19%? Is it 10% good tithing? It doesn't say. Verse 26 says all of Israel. Yeah. So what does that mean? 100%. No. God bless you. Not even close. No. All can't mean all Jews because he's just said we're going to have the spirit of stupor. And he's just cited the 7,000 who didn't bow, not that the others who did bow to Baal are included in that. Now, all Israel will be saved does not mean every Jew of all time, and certainly not every Jew at the time of the return of Christ will be saved. What's he coming back for? Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. He's not coming back to offer salvation. He's done that already. He's coming back to judge the world. So when he puts his foot down, like a father put, I'm putting my foot down, on the Mount of Olives, what's going to happen to the Mount of Olives? It's going to split in half, east to west, which is not the way fault lines work. East to west, he's going to split, so Jerusalem north and Jerusalem south. And he's going to put his foot down and rule. In that day, his name will be one. And he'll be Lord over all the earth. That is the return of Jesus Christ. Not to offer, hey, I got another deal for you. Two Jews for the price. It's not going to happen. It's, he's coming back for judgment. So we better be ready. We better get other people ready. That's why we proclaim Christ. Not to say, here's a bonus to your pretty sorrowful life. Or, or you've got a good life, there's uh, a little add-on. It's not an add-on, it's a total change from your sorrowful, horrible existence to eternal life. Wouldn't that be uh, an incentive for you know, people who want to know Jesus then? And, and especially the Jews? But yet, I've heard some say that Elijah's so... <laughs> when does a person... So yeah, Jews are blinded until what? 
until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and uh, 1 Corinthians is it 3, when a man turns to the Lord, then there's liberty, then the Holy Spirit does something, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 2? Darn, I was so close. As it says somewhere, which is, which is what uh, Priscilla wrote in Hebrew. <laughs> it could be two. It could be Second Corinthians. All right. Yeah, yeah. Other questions while I hunt this up. Why didn't I bring my computer? That's what I want to know. As it saith somewhere. And what do they say to that? So is that what they say to you, or are you just inventing a conversation? Well, I think they just they just shut down, right? They just go and then they shut me down, and then kind of go, and then you know I just go, all right, you know what? Try to preserve the relationship here. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 tough. There's the tension between friendship and evangelism. If I. Right. Yeah, so uh, the sister is saying that she's got Jewish friends. She's approached them about the gospel. Specifically, what have you read in the Older Testament? I use the word older. Um, Older Testament about, and do you cite any references or just about Messiah or what do you say? Great question. What do you know about the Messiah? Yeah, I don't know very much. And you then say, okay. But as after today, you can say, let me show you something from your book. And now you do. Look at that. That's why you came to church. Um, all the while being sensitive to their ignorance and the embarrassment they might have that this Christian girl knows so much more than me. Possibly. And I mean, I, I sense there is quite a bit of pride there as well. Um, in, yeah. In, in the sense that, you know, even like, you know, you joke and stuff and, you know, we'll talk about something. Um, and, like, I mean, just, just by way of example, I mean, some of them are trivia groups and some of them are serious, but they're not, well, they, they claim to be not practicing, right? Um, and so there'll be a question that come up and, you know, they'll say, oh, something to do with the Old Testament, like, you know, how many sons did blah, blah, blah have, and they're like, oh, we've got all this, we learned all this in, in Jewish class or whatever. And then there was something about Jesus, and then they were like, oh, you Jesus people. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I did that on the TV show Jeopardy when I was a kid, and I, I loved uh, when it had the category the Old Testament, but when they called it Bible, <laughs> how come they use all the Jesus people stuff, you know? I hated that part. Saint everybody. I didn't know them. Now I find it. 
Yeah. And when they say we have stopped there, they mean officialdom stopped there, but they stopped a lot earlier. They know Moses. They know Abraham. Isaiah, I think he's a basketball player from Detroit. I mean, they don't know. <laughs> True? Yeah, they don't know. They, they don't know. And that's not because they're stupid. It's because they're ignorant. Yeah. By the way, the verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it is to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lives over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's Paul's understanding that God, by his spirit, matches the one degree turnaround, not the 180 degree. How did you get saved? Because you were so noble and religious? No, you got saved because you said, maybe there's a God, and you turned around a little bit, and God met you there. One degree will do, thanks. Yeah, and most Jews don't believe they need salvation because we're Jews. We're automatically related to God. That's what they would say. The Jewish ministry that I come across, they don't use converting the Jews. They use the word complete them. Mm -hmm. I think when we talk to Jews, we say you, you just usually embrace the Old Testament. What you need to know is what the teaching of the New Testament is and then you yeah, that's good. Uh, completion, not uh, disintegration of your Jewishness. I'm still, a, I am a Jew. What did Paul write? Did God forsake his people? Romans 9. No, I still am a Jew. Hebrew of the Hebrews, Benjamin tribe, etc. So to say I am a Jew is both a great testimony and a great bother to Jews. Yeah, completed, that's a good word, fulfilled. Good word, good adjectives to use for us. Since when uh, the, the uh, Isaiah 53 was taken out of the Jewish Old Testament? If Isaiah 53 were taken out of the Older Testament, you heard me already, what would happen to Isaiah 54? It would become 53, but they're both in there. 53 is in the Bible. Without it, 54 would be 53 and 66 would be 65. And just back it up like a hotel that doesn't have a 13th floor. It does. It just doesn't put a number there. So in the Bible, of course, Isaiah 53 is there. What you've heard, let me see if I can help you. Um, and I'm mindful of the time. Time as well. So, okay. If you want to stop talking and leave for this point, like it's just, we, we're, we're fixing the lake. Wow, cool. Power. Okay. Uh, Isaiah 53 is not read publicly in the synagogue. Neither is half of Isaiah, neither is three fourths of Jeremiah. But it's in the Bible. What do you mean it's not read? In the synagogue, there are 54, 54 um, parashot, weekly readings. They divide Genesis through Deuteronomy into 54 
portions, equally, somewhat equally read. And in a time when Jews were under the thumb of various rulers, we were not allowed to read the Torah publicly. So they came up with a clever device to read the prophets in lieu of, but similar to the reading of the Torah. So if I gave you that assignment, Genesis 1 through 6, and you're running the database, what's included in Genesis 1 through 6, and I said, you can't read Genesis, but you've got to read something from the Newer Testament that reflects that, what would you read? John chapter 1. Very good. That's exactly what the rabbis did with the prophets and the writings in lieu of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In the summer up in Israel, we have a section called the Nachamu. It's right at the beginning of Deuteronomy and right at the middle of Deuteronomy and right at the um, um, July-August. And it is the section of Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort ye my people, right? It introduces a seven-week section. <coughs> Thank you. Our sister was cold. <laughs> I wanted you to take that off and give it to her. <laughs> You're young. She's uh, older, not old. She's only uh, Genesis. Uh, so Isaiah 40. What's read in that Nachamu season? 40, 42, 49, 50, 51, 52, 54, and 55. Wait a minute. Did you just skip 53? Yeah. But they also skip, you know, 32. And yeah, they skip loads of stuff. Because there's no way you could read the whole of that Older Testament in 52, uh, 54 weeks. But it looks like they skipped it aftzalachis, just to spite Messianic Jews who were in synagogue at the time. It looks like that. Oh, they had difficulty explaining. <coughs> Joe Ordinary Jew would have difficulty. The rabbi knows what he's doing and would explain it. Yeah. But the ordinary Jew, when you approach your Jewish friend and you say something about have you read Isaiah 53 lately? And they say, no, I haven't read Isaiah 1. I haven't read Isaiah anything. Um, and you say, can I read it to you? Can I get your Bible? And you take the Bible off their shelf. Um, then, then you read Isaiah 53. They'll be amazed that you can find it so quickly. How did you know where it was? Well, I'm new at that. I'm not, well, I'm, I've been around the block not my first rodeo. And you start reading, they'll say, wait a minute, are you reading from the New Testament? Because it sounds so darn Christian, doesn't it? Um, and then you say to your Jewish mate, who do you think that is? Well, I don't, I don't, I have to ask the rabbi. I'm not well trained. Or I knew what you were going to go to. You're going to say that's Jesus. It can't be Jesus because it's in the Old Testament. And I don't know what the answer is, but I'll go ask my rabbi. They hide behind the rabbi like a little kid hides behind his mom when you approach and they just hide. It's just one of those things. 
Most rabbis would say, honey, honey, you don't understand. This is about Israel. And it's not about an individual Messiah. And if you know how to do it, you'd say, well, that was not true the first thousand years of the Christian era. The Jews always believed that Isaiah 53 was the Messiah himself. They even quoted in Genesis Rabbah, in the Genesis 3 section that I read today, about the suffering or wounded Messiah. They cite Isaiah 53, that he'd be afflicted in all our afflictions. That's clearly um, like you have notes in your Bible that link passages. The Jews have that in the Midrash. Um, yeah, it's there. But they kind of change their philosophy. The time, the time is just after two. Are there any other questions that you want to propose at all? Because I do know, I, I am mindful of everybody who has their own days they want to get around and actually get doing. People have got places to travel to to get home. So we want to leave that free to, if you have anything specific to ask, then you guys can leave. We can sort of close off and then unofficially. Our well, we'd move downstairs because yeah. I'll be by my stall again because yeah. <laughs> I do that because I want you to get the products. If you get the products, then I stay with you longer. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And, and I'm jealous to get your, I want to be in your uh, sphere of influence. I want you to be in mine and I want us to share and partner in this. And that's, that's how this works. I do not organize trips to Israel. I do partner with those who do, and there are lots of good ones. Nobody's traveling right now anywhere. Uh, you can leave. You just can't get back in. So that, that's on, on pause for now. But the one I recommend the most is a man named Camille Majdali, who runs a ministry called Teach All Nations, T-A-N, .org.au. Um, he is a son of an Arab father and a Lebanese mother, and he came to Christ in university. He's, he's been on my board for 20 years, and he's just moved to England, but he's still running tours uh, twice a year when it all starts again. He's gold. He's gold. Um, yeah, beautiful. Do you have places of meetings where people come together pray for Israel in Sydney? We do, the one in Bondi? No, just Bondi Junction. That's where we have our center. It's where our bookstore is. And uh, that's where we have meetings. And then we also have meetings in Watson's Bay now, further into the east. Once a year, maybe, we'll have a program out here, uh, somewhere, Castle Hill, Ride, Pennant Hills, somewhere like here, um, to which we'd invite you if you signed up. If you didn't sign up, I'm not going to invite you um, to come because that's how we invite people. The, uh, there are people who call themselves Messianic Jews in Campbelltown, Picton, where not a Jew lives, um, in Ride, I think, or near North Ride, there's a fella who claims to be a Jew, 
And he's got a lot of mostly Asians and a few Africans who are wearing fringes and skull caps and praying in Hebrew and there's not a Jew among them. And they're more into the Jewish than the Jesus. And they want you to become Torah observant. That's a weird phrase. And they are to be avoided at all costs because they're not Jesus-centered. And they're also not Trinitarians, FYI. Other than that, they're just fine. <laughs> um, I have a question. Um, oh, yeah. So I know we talked like conceptually about how to, um, I suppose, reach out to those of this Jewish background. Um, so I, I have faces in my midst at work, but I don't even know like how to even start. Like, I know you suggested sort of. Complaining. <laughs> I already have, I guess, the friendship. Perfect. Skip the complaints. <laughs> so look, we just had Passover. Jews had Passover. Ask Mrs. Goldberg, what did you do for Passover? Did you celebrate? Did you have family over? On Friday nights, I had a friend who came over and told me that he meets with his kids every Friday night. They light the candles. They have the special bread. He loves the Sabbath wine. Do you do that somehow at your household? That Just ask real questions. A sympathetic question, which is what I'm asking you to ask, is one to which you don't know the answer. Yeah, like it's, it's, I think that's Not a leading question like, say, have you read Isaiah 53 lately? <laughs> don't ask that one just yet. But don't be afraid to ask that in due course. Um, who do you think Jesus is, is not a bad question. It's just a conversation ender sometimes. It's a good opener. Uh, how do you practice your religion? Just tell me. And she'll say, or he'll say, yeah, I'm not really into it that much, but on Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year in September, I'll go hang out with my family and we'll pray and buy a seat in the synagogue. Just anything you don't know the answer to, ask that. That's probably the best. And, you know, in fishing, it's not the net thing. It's the line and give them more line and then pull it in and then give it more line and then just give them space. Sympathetic questions. I sell a book, not downstairs, but at the shop called Witnessing the Jews, which would be gold for you and your friend over here. You could share it. <laughs> Half time. Cool. Are there any more pure breed Jews, given that they intermarried uh, for thousands of years now? They can't claim to be a Benjamin or Judah. Yeah, the question about tribes, I think, is one with which we'll end. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so I'll answer that. And. Uh, and help, help you with two things on tribes. Uh, yes, there are people who are what would be called full-blooded Jews. It's likely that someone 700 years ago intermarried, but by now that's washed. And I mean, how do you, 
Are there ethnic Chinese still? Well, of course. But does that mean that nobody married out or married a, um, you know, a, a Chinese married a Malay in Malaysia? Well, which one? Do, and then 300 years later, you know, which one is it? Yeah, it's likely that there are some full-blooded people. But it's equally likely that everybody's a mutt. Back up to the year 70 AD. And what happened? Yeah, AD 70. What about the temple? There you go. Temple. I heard the noun. I didn't hear a verb. Okay. And everybody else was like worried that they were going to get caught out saying something wrong. Oh, that's when the uh, Maccabees. No. Um, all right. So in 70 AD or 70 CE, the Jewish people were exiled into the diaspora from Israel. It sealed that we sealed our fate in 132 to 135 in the Second Jewish Revolt under Bar Kokhba, sometimes called Bar Kokhba, and after that, no Jew, nobody, and they even renamed the country from Judea to. Palestina. That's when the country got named Palestine in honor of the Philistines. Okay. At that time, there were 12 tribes, remember? 12 tribes. Every 50 years, those 12 tribes reconfigured. If you had married a Reubenite and you're, and you're a Simeonite, Eventually, 70 year, 50 years later, you'd re-tribalize because it was all land-based. After we're not land-based and the records were destroyed, two things happened. Now a Jew could live in Shanghai, like Sharashevsky, or a Jew could live in Buenos Aires or in Kansas City, like I did. And there's no tribal reconfiguration. There is no Jew alive today who knows what land-based tribe they're from. Land-based. Because there is a tribe that knows. The Levites. The Kohens, which means the priests, and the Levites, the big category. Levites, the third son of Jacob. Aaron, down the line, and his kids are priests, right? They're all from Levi up there, the third son of Jacob. So Levites know from what tribe they are, but they were not given land. There was no tribal reconfiguration with them. So I say that to answer the question you didn't ask. If there are no tribes any longer, how can there be 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Simeon, 12,000 from Judah, 12, you get it? The 144,000 cannot be literal. It can't. There are no tribes. Well, doesn't God know? Yeah, of course God knows, but that's not how tribes work. The second and maybe more important and good for you in evangelism is 
since the Messiah had to come from what tribe? Judah. Judah. See, you're getting a little bolder. Yeah. <laughs> Ask me one I really know. Um, since the Messiah had to come from Judah, and nobody knows today that they're from the tribe of Judah, what's the question to ask your Jewish friend? When did he have to come? He had to come before 70 AD, before the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the records. He had to come before then. So when they say, I believe in a Messiah, which they, most of them won't, but if they do, how are you going to recognize him? Because he had to come bef before, before 70 AD. That's why the tribes really matter. There, I got a little excited. <laughs> High five. High five. He saw the arrow. Yeah, you'll be telling somebody at the pub to this thing. Have you uh, seen the arrow? <laughs> Good on you. Joe, over to you. With that